Welcome to Communicate Like You Give a Damn, the podcast. Our guests share their stories and approaches to embedding diversity, equity, and inclusion in communications because, I mean, let's be honest, we know the power of language. And language leads to behavior. So thank you. Thank you for joining us in leveling up your communications. I'm your host, Kim Clark. And DEI communications, it's, it's kind of my thing. So let's get into it. Let's learn more about how to communicate like you give a damn. Rev D, thank you so much for returning to Communicate Like You Give a Damn, the podcast that is trying to get communicators and all those who do content and communications in an interpersonal setting to understand our role and responsibility in diversity, equity, and inclusion, and really applying it to our daily work. And you and I did a podcast already And something you said to me after we recorded made it really clear that there you're going to be a reoccurring like CNN correspondent (laughs) as part of our podcast. (laughs) Uh, So thank you for coming back. And not everyone's going to listen to the episodes, obviously, in order. So I would love for you to introduce yourself and then we'll get into this uh, new round of, of content. I think people are going to really get a lot from. So Reverend Deborah Johnson, also known as Rev D now, and also affectionately known as Rev D. Please introduce yourself, Rev. Well, thank you, Kim. It's a pleasure to be back. I appreciate the work that you're doing um, in the field as well. Um, Yes, I have been in the field of diversity for over four decades um, professionally, and my passion is really about healing divides. I've Mm -hmm. had all kinds of clients from corporate, from um, the Fortune 500 corporate clients to nonprofit organizations, public sector, um, military, and I find that Although the environments are different, there are certain fundamentals that are going to be true um, everywhere. Um, And I've been in the trenches with two landmark uh, court cases in the state of California. Oh, please, you can't leave us hanging there. (laughs) Tell us more. Well, the first is a case that was won in 1984 that set precedent for the inclusion of sexual orientation into California civil rights bill. It was actually the first to happen anywhere in the nation, um, which set the precedent to be able to have things such as marriage equality. And then later in 2005, um, I was also a successful co-defendant this time in a case against uh, the governor our former governor in California, Gray Davis, who signed into law on the way out of his recall, the domestic partnerships bill. And there was a challenge to that. And I was able to be part of the successful um, keeping it in place, which once again helped to set the precedent for um, marriage equality. So what I'm hearing is that for Black History Month or Pride Month, People should be telling your story. You should be a part of the did you know and, you know, about LGBTQ plus history and the intersectionality 
as well uh, of your identities. You have a variety of identities that really inform your work. And you just gave us just a little tiny sample size of how that shows up in actual manifestation of not only advancing visibility, but like you said, law books, precedents that has led to just the right to be out in general. Yes. Certain, some companies actually would do that, particularly when I worked with various affinity groups within the same organization, Apple. Uh, for example, was big with that, um, where Apple Lambda, the LGBTQ group and the women's group and um, their black affinity group would all pull their resources, you know, together and, and bring me in. And now companies are investing with bigger budgets. However, DEI is still nowhere close to where it needs to be. Because we've seen this recently as we record this in April of 2023, mass layoffs, especially within the DEI field. So if companies had truly put DEI into place and abetted it across the organizations, especially since the great white awakening from the summer of 2020, <laughs> the embedding, the practice actually has not truly been embraced as of yet because we would not have seen the layoffs at the scale that we have most recently. Now, I want to get into language specifically, because that's definitely what we talk about here on this podcast. But there's something that you left me feeling and thinking about after when we were done recording the first episode that I've got to dive into here. You said DEI doesn't have five years. And I went, just hold that thought. I'm going to schedule you for more time because I we've got to share what you're thinking about when you say that statement, when you say DEI doesn't have five years, tell us more. What are you talking about there? What do you mean? What I mean is that DEI happens within a broader cultural context. And the very legitimacy of DEI and what it stands for is, in fact, under attack. The work of DEI really follows and mirrors the work that we do in the broader society around democracy and inclusion. We don't have another five years to sit around in the United States in particular mm -hmm. and just see what happens in terms of democracy. There is an eroding that's taking place at the very infrastructures. And part of the danger here in us talking about language is that there is such a big move out right now to do misinformation, mm. disinformation, to rewrite history, to not allow the facts and the truth to come out, whether it's in the banning of the books or what it is that we're allowed to say in, in, in schools, the wanting to erase race as an issue that can even be discussed, let alone defined or measured. Um, I could go on and on, but the culmination of these factors is leading to such a situation 
where the legitimacy of doing this kind of work is very fragile right now. Mm. And what do we have to do to, and who do we need to be? I know that's a big part of your work is who do we need to be and what do we need to do to manage through this fragility and come through to help people see that this work benefits them too. The ones who may be hesitant about it or trying to steer focus and investment away from embedding DEI in organizations. Well, I think that there's a step that has to happen before that. Okay. And the step that I think that has to happen before that is that there needs to be a real honest, honest conversation within the DEI communities itself. I keep saying that there are these parallels because there are. The DEI doesn't just spring out of nowhere. It is a reaction and a response to what's happening in the broader society. Our corporations, our companies are a microcosm of the whole. And what we're attempting to do in our businesses is to do things a little bit differently than how they're being done in the broader society so that we can be more inclusive, so that we can be competitive so that we can, um, in fact, have work environments where everybody can flourish. There's a way in which we want to tell our stories merely within the context of the corporate environment without locating ourselves within the context of a broader societal environment. And taking a look at what's going on in that broader societal environment. How are those issues playing out in our corporate environments? And what's our contribution to it? Not just what is our contribution to making things better, but how, we, how may we inadvertently been doing things that are at cross purposes? When we talk about language, this is no different than political polling, where if you're trying to sell a message, you have to stop for a moment and ask, what message are people hearing from you? N not just... What do you think you're saying? What is it that they are hearing? <laughs> and, and are we picking the issues that really matter to them? You know, are we languaging it in, in the ways that they can understand and perhaps buy in and, and support us? And, and I'm saying this very firmly because I find in the DEI field, we're operating almost like we're right. Mm. We, we, we're right. We, we have the right message. We know what we're doing. There's just something wrong with all of them that they don't get it. 
Mm-hmm. And, and, and what do I need to do to help them see the light and see through my eyes? But, but a good communicator is going to learn how to see through the eyes of the ones that they're talking to. They're going to be taking that into consideration and looking to see where is there the common ground, where might we have divergent opinions, but paying particular attention to ways in which we may be at cross purposes with ourselves. And just as in the social political environment, those cracks those weaknesses get exploited. Okay. So for those who have the agenda of eradicating, undermining, or at least um, uh, neutralizing <laughs> the work of DEI because it serves their larger social political agendas. Okay. <laughs> the, the, the pushback is not just about the company. Pushback is a reflection of what's happening in the broader society. Just like the advocacy isn't just about the company. The advocacy is about what's happening in the broader society. And if we don't kind of wake up and smell the coffee and locate ourselves within this larger context, um, I'm really concerned that we're going to look up in a few years and find that the, the funding's not there. Not only is the funding not going to be there, but the environment would have flipped so that we won't even be allowed to have the conversations anymore. And that's all because DEI didn't work. So they didn't feel the need to continue with the investment? Not because it didn't work necessarily. You know, that's like saying the voter registration laws or the voting stuff didn't work. No, it worked. It worked well. <laughs> we that's did not fun. have a stolen election. In fact, the last presidential election was the safest that we've ever had. Mm-hmm. But just because you're doing well doesn't mean you're going to be supported. <laughs> just because you're doing well doesn't mean you're going to be liked. If you're doing well flies in the face of a broader agenda that actually doesn't want you to be successful. And I feel like we're not coming to grips with that, that there's this assumption that any kind of pushback is just out of ignorance as opposed to strategic dismantling. How can communicators step up in this space. I look at 
the experiment that I did with ChatGPT, where I just basically typed in, write a comp- company diversity statement. And in less than 30 seconds, it spit out a diverse a commitment statement, a diversity statement that I could apply to any company because ChatGPT just pulls from what's out there. So <laughs> what's out there is what I see uh, in the results in that search. And it says, insert company name in the ChatGPT uh, version in less than 30 seconds, um, putting together something that I see a lot of companies have spent, you know, many rewrites and many months in order to get approved. And it's not meaningful in any way, shape or form. There's not a, and we touched on this in the first time that we talked where there isn't a compelling vision. There isn't a story of, of DEI that's been very well articulated. So many of us are kind of rudderless and why we are doing DEI. And it's the communicators that can really tell that story in a compelling way and in a specific way. That shift from vague to specificity is something I work with uh, with clients all the time because they don't see it. So many communicators, the vast majority, I can't remember the statistics lately. I know I've seen them as high as 83% of the roles of communications within organizations are taken by people who look like me. And we don't necessarily understand what DEI is. We don't actually know what that work is. There's there's a great education ramp and learning curve for us to actually know what that work is in order for us to go, oh, now I get it. Or at least I get it better than I did yesterday and two weeks before that and three years ago. So now the way I'm showing up in how I'm telling the story and wanting to revamp and seeing that the commitment statement is too vague. It's a list of activities. It's like camp. If you if you read if you read like a diversity report by most companies, it's a list of activities that we want merit badges for, uh, rather than meaningful impact to shift the organization in a meaningful way where it benefits everybody. So, this storytelling, the language that we use, the picture that we can create. The vi- that compelling vision, but also reporting on what we do, what do communicators need to, to shift and truly understand in our power of that language and storytelling in order to step up in this work and not end up like you have warned us that we can because of this strategic dismantling that's going on in the larger societal realm. There's a saying, there's a reason why God gave us two ears and only one mouth. Mm. Because we're supposed to listen twice as much as we speak. The, the, that's the word I'm looking for. The, the encouragement that I'm saying here is not so much that we haven't been saying enough in DEI. We haven't been listening enough in DEI. We haven't been listening (laughs) 
is the point that I'm making. That there's a tendency to want to write off those who are not in agreement or those who are not in alignment to marginalize them in the same way that Mm -hmm. DEI people are there to stop other people from being marginalized. So we're just kind of playing tick for tat in whose turn it is to be marginalized Mm -hmm. is is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And the DEI work is not going to be successful unless you are in partnership, like real partnership. Otherwise, it's not going to work. And the uplifting of the marginalized populations should be a means to an ends and not an ends in and of itself. And I think too often we have positioned DEI as though that is the end. Like uplift these people, give them some opportunity, the end. Like we've, we've, we've done our work. But the uplifting is for the purpose of us all being together and all being included, which involves everyone. And I'm not so sure that the vision of all DEI really includes everyone. We have gotten to the point, unfortunately, where the word diversity as a communicator quite often becomes a code word for non-white. Big news, friends! We have found a way to duplicate the content we share. Now it'll be available everywhere all at once. You can now pre-order the DEI Communications Blueprint. (sighs) This is a three-level on-demand video course. It's 21 of the most popular topics I talk about in workshops and training sessions with clients all over the world. And by taking this video course, you will be able to apply a DEI lens to your communications, develop DEI communication strategies, gain confidence, and shift DEI messages to center outcomes, not activities and outputs. Plus, we threw in some more bonuses for those who pre-order ahead of our fall launch. So go to deicommunicationsblueprint.com. That is deicommunicationsblueprint.com to get started. Mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. you know, anything other than white male mm-hmm. or anything other than straight white male. So this pushback, particularly when you were in environments where white straight men are not perceiving themselves as advantage, (laughs) 
not perceiving themselves as privileged, whether it's true or not. <laughs> but I'm saying is that the self-perception is not that. And there's no real conversations going on anywhere about that. So we're doing this. We're, 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 we're doing this. I, I, I believe in our last conversation, I gave the analogy of a family mm -hmm. that is expanding. Yep. And if you have a new baby that comes into the family, of course, the new baby is going to get a lot of attention. But the 12-year-old, the 13-year-old is going to be wondering, well, what about me? And then when they get 16 and 17, it's not that they don't love their five-year-old brother or sister or, or care about them, but in their minds, they're feeling as though somehow or another, the parent's attention has gotten siphoned off and that the, the younger brother or sister is favored. So a lot of what I see labeled sometimes as racism. I'm not saying that, it, that there isn't a, some of that in there, but it could equally be described as sibling rivalry. It's sibling rivalry. Kind of this who's favored, who's valued. And has that been our message? In fact, that everybody's valued. And that no one is actually more important than another. This is why I say that I think there have to be these conversations within ourselves about what are we doing? <laughs> you know, what is our message? What do people think that we stand for? And have we created a vision that's big enough to involve everyone? It's often a lack of imagination. And I was, you know, that I'm in the process of moving my dad out of state. He, he's been in the same place for 34 years and it's in, at his age, almost 77. This is a big, huge change. So we were driving 14 hours and I was uh, watching a lot of traffic uh, coming on and off the freeway. And I had this thought of, these two cars that we were making room for the car that was coming on. And then there was somebody, another car who didn't lose their space. I didn't lose my space. I needed to move, slow down a little bit in order to safely have the person come in front of me. The other person, you know, stayed at their speed. There was just room. So when you have an abundance mindset, <laughs> DEI is possible, right? Um, and then, whatever we can systematize, we can put in structures and institutions and stuff, it becomes probable. Um, but first we start with the possible, it's possible. And 
I know you're a big, you know, one of your, one of the things that you really teach is about this, the power of possibility and being that place of possibility uh, in our, in our conversation today is communicators really being that place of possibility for us to make room for anybody who's entering and exiting, <laughs> but everybody still has their role. Everybody is still there. Maybe we have to adjust our speed a little bit. However, we're all there in order to get to where we want to go. And there's an alignment there. You know, there's a story that you've told me um, a few times when you were doing a corporate diversity training at a, a very large company. And you got into this discussion, I believe you were the trainer and there was someone in the audience that was kind of challenging you around the marriage equality conversation. Do you remember the story? Okay, can you can you recite the story uh, for folks? And it's that, that ending aha and how you um, named the interaction and the motivation uh, of the audience member that you kind of, you, you put a name to it and I think it's incredibly profound and something that I think communicators would benefit from and understanding the hesitancy, even the pushback, et cetera, that they may be experiencing specifically from leaders. Well, it's interesting um, that you should ask me about this. Um, I just included it in one of my podcasts within the last month or two. Um, I did the podcast with Dr. Anita Sanchez, one of my colleagues, and it was kind of a trip down memory lane asking her, did she remember that moment? Because I was doing this work under her banner okay. with her, with her uh, husband. Um, their firm is called Sanchez Tennis. And I was one of their associates for many, many years. So we're at this large tech company. This particular um, event happened um, in Oregon, if I'm not mistaken, everybody. Mm -hmm. No, it was Colorado in particular, because this was when Colorado was the first state to really get knee deep into the marriage equality um, issue. Mm -hmm. This particular training was, was only management. So they were coming in from all over the place. At the time, my role within the training was to discuss issues in regards to the LGBTQ community as far as employment goes. There was, the company was coming out supportive of domestic partnerships and they were coming out to be supportive of whatever it was that needed to happen within the broader society to have the relationships between same-sex couples um, legitimized. This was making one particular manager very, very uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. What was and his I demographic? Noticed, pardon? Oh, was he, was, demographic? Oh, yeah, he was a straight white male, middle-aged. Okay. Yes. Um, um, professed uh, Christian Okay. Devout Christian by his own, you know, definition. And his frustration was frustrating me. <laughs> so I, I knew enough to just stop for a moment. And I did what I'm suggesting. I listened. So I just stepped back 
and I gave him the floor. Hmm. And I said, what you just said was, you don't have anything personally against gay people. You would never do anything to hurt or harm, uh, discriminate against them, hold them back, give them lesser assignments on your teams or anything like that. You believe that people should be able to be in whatever kind of relationships that they want to be in, but you cannot get behind the company endorsing domestic partnerships because you feel that is an encroachment upon your understanding of marriage, which is in the domain of a male and a female, according to your religious beliefs that this policy goes up against your religious belief. For that reason, you'll cooperate with it if you have to, but you can't really wholeheartedly support it. And because you don't support it, you don't want to be considered anti-diversity. And he just, it was like somebody took the the weight right off his shoulders. And he just said, yes, yes, that's what I'm saying. And I said, you know, I get it. At this particular point in time, we were just in shock and awe in Iraq. It wasn't too long after 9-11. Supposedly they had these weapons of mass destruction that nobody could find. Right. So I said to him, I get it. I said, because there is no amount of training in the world to convince me that shock and awe is okay. I am not against the military. I don't want to do anything that's going to hurt the military. I'm fine with the military. But just because I don't support all of my nation's foreign policy, I don't want to be considered unpatriotic for doing that. And at this moment, we both were standing and we just looked at each other and we migrated to each other. We hugged and we both actually started to cry. Amazing. Something broke. He didn't change his mind. I didn't change my mind. But the conflict stopped because the conflicts are never about differences. It's the polarization around the differences. And when we depolarized, we could step into that vision that we had of what the company could be. You saw him, you heard him, you valued him, and you found that connection with him. And it's, it's that listening, like you were talking about the two ears, one mouth. That's the main thing that I'm trying to say is that everybody has to be valued. And even just in your analogy that you were making about on the road, mm -hmm. and can we make room for the new people who were like coming in? But can we also make sure that the ones that were already on the road 
are also feeling seen and valued like their journeys are just as important. I just want everyone to take a breath for a second here (laughs) because this is really big. This is something that's going to take some time to process. I mean, every time I heard you hear you share that example, I'm at another level of process with that. Is it that example or a different example of a time where you talk about making space for fighting for their right to believe what they believe in? Oh, yeah. Um, You're speaking of a debate that I was in um, at the San Francisco Club. This was also around the issue of marriage equality. Um, This particular guy was a Muslim guy with seven children, a Muslim leader. And let me be more specific. We were clergy. And he was very, very, very anti um, same-sex marriage, marriage equality. So at the end of the whole thing, I said to him, you know, I think you're wrong and you think I'm wrong. I said, this is clear. I said, but that's not the real difference between us. Our stance on marriage equality, that's not our difference. I said, let me tell you what our real difference is. I said, our real difference is that I will forever fight for your right to say I'm wrong. You just want to silence me. That's what I told him. I think this is another podcast episode talking about this. And you were talking, you were alluding into it earlier of just kind of this power dynamic, the power struggle. You were, you were putting your fists together and having them pushed against each other. And that it's, it's a, it's a, it's a shifting of the power struggle and the power dynamic, which we see played out in corporations at all levels. And I think what those two examples that you just shared are things that us as communicators really need to take some time to really process and see where we are make, not making space, not valuing, um, where we just want to power forward rather than bring people with us. Isn't that part of the definition of leadership is like, yes. you know, turning around and looking to see if anyone's behind you. Anything you want to speak to that in your uh, closing thoughts? I have a series out called Letters from the Infinite. They're just these divine downloads that I get in the form of letters. It's published by Sounds True. And there is a definition that's given of, of religion and what religious edicts, if there are any, like what those should be, principles. And I think it applies to DEI. It said that any kind of religious laws should should be like traffic laws. They don't tell you where to go. They just ensure that everybody can arrive safely at their own destination without interfering with each other's journeys. Oh, damn, this is good. Keep going. I'll say it again. 
that I believe that DEI should be like this definition that was given about religious laws. It said religious laws should be like traffic laws. And this is what I think DI needs to be. It doesn't tell you where to go. It just ensures that each and every person can arrive safely at their destination without interfering with each other's journeys. Take a breath with me, listeners. People are going to have some feelings about we just what we just talked about. And I encourage folks to process them, to, you know, uh, find support. You've got Rev D's podcasts that you can listen to and her books. Tell us about those, Rev. Yes. So my podcast you can find on um, any podcast channel um, under Rev D Now. I have a Rev D Now channel that has three podcast shows on it. Um, and my books you can find online, uh, The Sacred Yes and Your Deepest Intent, both in the Letters from the Infinite series. And those are the kind of books that you don't like write, you know, be- go from the beginning. It's one of those that you just kind of open up yes. and just <laughs> just see see where you're led, to see what needs to be spoken to you uh, in that moment, for sure. And I do coaching, uh, it, you know, and uh, as well as, you know, continual, continual um, um, you know, consulting as, as well as ongoing training because, you know, one-time training doesn't work. So you have to do it on a regular basis, but also embedding it within our communication policies and processes, uh, our editorial workflow, all of the things. Uh, One of the other sayings that RevD has is that, and I've, you know, and and to put a a communicator spin on it, it's that, you know, whatever you want is the result has to be a part of the process, which I believe you shared in our first podcast. So if you want DEI communications as a result, then DEI communications has to be a part of the process. It doesn't magically happen without it intentionally built into our systems and processes. So we're going to keep talking. We're going to have you back as our, our correspondent uh, to, de- <laughs> to DEI communications. Thank you for your generous sharing. Please support RevD. In all that she does, follow her, engage with her, uh, but don't um, don't brush this away. What you heard in this podcast episode, specifically, or any 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 time that you hear Rev D speak, um, let it sit with you. You get mad at it, punch in the air uh, about it, because uh, another one of her sayings is maybe we'll talk about this in a future podcast. But the whole idea of feel, deal heal and uh famous musicians have even put that on a slide while they are (laughs) on concert and in tour and so this is something in oprah you know uh uh, talked about it because of iyanla van zant uh quoting you uh uh, during one of her uh, major shows that she's done so it's out there in the world but you need to know that it's rev d that talks about these things and uh they're profound and just imagine I've been mentoring, I've been mentoring under her 
for 20 years. We're recording this in April in 2023, and we've known each other for 19 years. It was April 2004 when we first met, and I knew what I was getting into then. And you've changed my life. You've changed thousands of lives. Um, And then because of that ripple effect, it has improved millions of lives. So thank you for your work and your legacy. Well, thank you, Kim. And, you know, I'm not saying I have the answer. I'm not saying that any one person has the answer. What, 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 What I'm saying is that we need to engage in the conversation. Um, I love the way that Lynn Twist puts it, uh, another one of my colleagues who also has endorsed uh, my work. She says, the problem is not our unanswered questions. It's our unquestioned answers. So much that I have to process through just having this conversation with you (laughs) ongoing. Oh, Revdi, thank you so much. Thank you for being back and for gifting your knowledge. Uh, We have a transcribed dinner conversation that I turn into an article and we will put it in the show notes. It's talking about understanding the DEI backlash. And so y'all need to go a little deeper on this work. So we're going to include a link. Uh, to that article for you to learn more. And uh, I have done trainings and speaking engagements based on that article. People are like, talk to us more about what that looks like and feels like. And I bring that article and reference it throughout and turn it into a real, you know, in real life kind of experience for people to work through because we have to have these conversations. We have to talk about this. The fastest way is through not under, not running away, not blocking (laughs) the facet. And it's only forward from here. Thank you, Revdi, for leading this work and and for the last uh, several decades of leading this work in all the different ways that you have. My pleasure. Take care. Okay, so what popped out to you from this conversation? And I mean, it may take a minute to process, but... Be sure not to brush off what you just heard. Look, you just need a partner to be with you through this experience and understand what to do next. So I'm inviting you to set up a one-on-one strategy session. All you need to do is go to communicate like you give a damn the podcast.com and you'll see the button there. The more conscious communicators in the world, the better the world. So thank you for listening and until next time, Let's communicate like we give a damn.